Keller County's premier podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Hello, Cubs and wonderful listeners. Welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best in melodrama productions in the United States, and Peak Washing LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. Hope everybody had a great week. It's uh, it's definitely fall out there. We got some of that crisp, cool air in the mornings, and uh, feels kind of good. We're just uh, waiting for that all-important day that's coming up soon, and that's uh, Halloween. We're here at the Bear Cave, are waiting for you people to come on by so we can give you some of that delicious high fructose corn syrup. Well, by now, those ballots have already been put in the mail, and any day now, you should be getting them. And here in the Bear Cave, we urge you once again to look at that pretty blue booklet you got a few weeks ago that all registered voters got in the mail. And read those propositions carefully, please. I'm hoping that some of those booklets didn't make it to the bottom of the birdcage just yet or became a fire starter. So, But uh, I'm urging you to maybe save that activity until after you've voted. But uh, more about that here in just a moment. Like I said, uh, it's getting closer to that holy day. And uh, yep, I'm talking about Halloween. And of course, it's one of our favorite non-holidays around here in the Barricade. Thanks to those who stopped by for a peek last week. And each week we're lighting up a little bit more, a couple more details and adding a couple of items to those spooky woods. But uh, this weekend, it's going to be full on smoke machines, sound effects. The whole nine yards is going to be happening. And that's going to be Saturday. We may light up Sunday depending upon uh, how many people stop by. But anyway, stop on by, take a look, maybe take a short walk through that uh, well-lit trail and enjoy the display. Because uh, we do it for you, you know? I mean, for our listeners and whoever else wants to see it. Seriously, we enjoy seeing those happy faces. And just watch out for the bears. They're uh, they're kind of protective of the spooky woods these days. Well, included in our lineup this week, it is that time again for the Mayor's Corner. And Woodland Park Mayor Hillary Labar is coming in for a chat. I've got to think that one big topic at the moment comes to mind for Woodland Park and maybe Teller County in general. And that's the subject of short-term rentals. Yep, it's finally reared its ugly little head. It can't be... Uh, pushed aside anymore or ignored and it seems like that we're getting more and more short-term rentals in the community and it's become a little bit of a problem but uh, we'll discuss that with the mayor when she stops in and uh, you know she has a different approach and a different view than uh, maybe some of the city council members we're just hoping that they take their time and, and do it right because this is an issue that's going to affect all of Teller County we're kind of keeping an eye out to see what's going on now I know that uh, you know Victor has their own rules Triple Creek has their own rules but Woodland Park is just uh, uh, it's time for that subject to be addressed, and uh, that's what she's going to do for us today. Well, next week we are joined by Chief, yep, I said that, Chief Eric Holt, no more interim, from Florissant Fire and Rescue, and he's going to talk to us about some home safety and things to watch out for during the upcoming winter months. Uh, as you recall, last week we had our title sponsor from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey, talking about that a little bit. You know, there's a lot of things that are preventable to keep you safe this winter. And also we have our friend from the Teller County Sheriff's Office, Lieutenant Renee Bunting, coming on to the Bear Cave Hotline to talk about the all-important Halloween safety. She's going to give us some tips to remind us to stay safe while we're out there fleecing our neighbors for all that candy. So never can have too many good tips and reminders to keep us safe because, uh, you know, you love up here in the mountains. It gets kind of dark. Certain things you got to kind of watch out for. 
Again, a reminder that we are going to be dark the first week of November, but we'll be back during the second week, and we'll be talking to Woodland Park City Council member David Ott. And it's kind of a twofer that week because we're also celebrating Veterans Month, which is the 11th of November in the Bear Cave, and uh, all over the country for that matter. And as you know, there's a number of veterans in Teller County, and uh, we'll also be joined by Woodland Park City Council member and Navy veteran Frank Connors. Yep, good old Frank's coming in. He's going to be discussing some veterans issue, and uh, we're also going to talk to him a little bit about his experiences in the United States Navy. So the idea is that uh, each week we'll be talking to veterans from Teller County and from all the services and allow them to share their experiences. We want to say thank you for your selfless dedication and service. So pretty much that gives you a look at what's coming up for us here in the Bear Cave in the next few weeks. And uh, who knows, Michelle may have some interesting veteran stories for all of us in November. But uh, anyway, now back to those uh, pesky propositions I was talking about earlier. Remember last week I talked about Proposition 126, and that was the third-party alcohol delivery. Well, this week there's another topic that is not getting as much attention because the supporters of Governor Yoga Pants, who now I'm going to call, I got a new name for him. I'm going to call him Little Gavin Newsom or Baby Newsom or Little Newsom or Little Gavin. Yeah, Little Gavin, that's it. So Little Gavin doesn't want you to discuss this social program because that's what it is. And I'm talking about Prop 123, the Dedicated Revenue for Affordable Housing Program. Now, on the outset, if you kind of look at this, you go, yeah, you know, I kind of want to help out homeless people and people who can't afford to buy a house or be able to put down a down payment or anything like that. But uh, once you start delving into this thing and really start reading these propositions, which I encourage you all to do, it is very clear that is just another woke social program that uses a shell game to rob the state general fund and it eventually is going to reduce the amount of Tabor funds you get back every year. Now, remember, the uh, debate between Heidi Ganahl and Little Gavin, she pointed out the fact that Little Gavin voted against Tabor back in the day. And then, of course, when the, the monies were being released, being that it's a election year, he came up with this uh, fancy title that made it sound like it was his idea to begin with. Well, that's just not the case, and we know it. But anyway, what this does is it sets aside a portion of the annual state income tax revenue for affordable housing programs. And it's another bill that's stuffed with fat, which will be administered by the State Office of Economic Development and International Trade. You ever heard of that one? And also the Department of Local Affairs, DOLA. I think we all know what DOLA is. These are just another bunch of phony departments and layers of bureaucracy. The bottom line is that the amount of money that's, that uh, it takes for this program, which, which the measure exempts from state constitutional revenue limits, which is TABOR, is estimated to be $145 million in the state budget for years 2022 and 23. And get this. $290 million in state budget of 2023 and 2024 and beyond. Now, they want you to change the state constitution as well, because that's kind of what's happening. So let's look into see what these offices are really all about. So as I mentioned, if you go on page 44 in that uh, handy dandy blue booklet that you got, and you go down to the uh, about the middle of the page, it tells you what the Office of Economic Development and International Trade actually does with this bill. 60% 
of the total transfers are paid to the Affordable Housing Financing Fund. And that estimate is $87 million for years 2022 and 2023 for that budget. And $174 million in 2023 and 2024 budget year. Money in the fund is spent for the land banking program. Hmm, interesting. The Affordable Housing Equity Program and a concessionary debt program. And this is the part that got me. A third-party administrator is allowed to keep 2% of the funds for its administrative costs. Who is that third-party administrator? Or is it the Office of Economic Development and International Trade? Well, DOLA, or Department of Local Affairs, 40% of total transfers are paid to the Affordable Housing Support Fund estimated at $58 million in 2022-23 budget year and $116 million in the 2023-24 budget year. Money in the fund is spent for the Affordable Home Ownership Program, the Homelessness Program, here it starts, and the Local Capacity Development Program, whatever the hell that is. The department is allowed to keep 5% of funds for its administrative costs. Well, this portion of the proposition says that DOLA keeps 5% of the funds, but the Office of Economic Development and International Trade has a third-party administrator that's going to keep 2% of those funds for administrative costs. Well, what's 2% of 174 million? You do the math and tell me if you think there's nothing going on here. What does this proposition do? And all this information is in that blue booklet that uh, hopefully you still have. It grants and loans to local governments and nonprofit organizations to acquire and preserve land for affordable housing development. Hmm. So some developer in Little Gavin's inner circle is going to make out like a bandit. That's what I see it saying. The second part is assistance to develop affordable multifamily rental housing, equity investments in affordable housing projects, including a program to share home equity with tenants. Home ownership programs and down payment assistance for first-time buyers. It develops a program addressing homelessness through rental assistance and eviction defense. Did you catch that? Rental assistance and eviction defense. So if I'm the guy who's paying taxes, I happen to have a home that I'm renting. And let's say maybe I have some squatters that are in there or some people who don't want to pay their rent and I want to evict them. So now my tax dollars are going to their defense against me from them getting evicted. Wow, talk about a shell game. Everybody catch that? And then it grants to increase the capacity of local government planning departments. That's, uh, boy, that's really specific, right? Who the hell knows what all this stuff actually means? To me, it means that little Gavin is trying to eliminate Tabor $1 at a time. So the longer this program goes on, the less Tabor money that you are authorized by law to get at the end of the year Remember, that's the tax bill of rights, the taxpayer's bill of rights. You're going to get less and less and less money until the time comes when eventually you won't get any money back through Tabor. Well, a yes vote on Prop 123, it sets aside money for the new affordable housing programs and exempts this money from the state's revenue limit. So, like I said before, that Tabor money is going to go away because they're pulling it out of that fund to pay for these social programs. A no vote on Prop 123 means that state revenue will continue to be spent on priorities as determined by the state legislature or returned to the taxpayers under the current law. So yeah, the legislature actually has to do their job. 
So the bottom line is this. This, in my opinion, is a worthless proposition. And it is a shell game hidden with a bunch of pretty words. And, uh, you know, of course, no pictures. If it was pictures, I'd probably just look at the pictures and not even read the words. But anyway, it's going to decrease the amount of return to the taxpayer for years when the state revenue is over the Tabor revenue limit. Any money left over at the end of the fiscal year remains in that fund rather than being returned to the taxpayer. That's the money that you earned under law that you're supposed to get back. And if you look at it carefully, based on forecasts from June of 2022, Prop 123 is expected to decrease the amount returned by $145 million in tax year 2023 and $290 million in tax year 2024. Now, the authors of this nonsense, they wrote this because this is nothing more than a scam to get rid of Tabor for more social programs that your hard-earned money is paying for. It kind of explains why there are less workers these days because they'll be getting more government cheese in their pockets and uh, it's going to the people who won't or don't want to work or don't even want to contribute. Not in all cases, but generally in some. That's the whole idea. I mean, my God, why would anyone vote for this piece of crap? Like I said, in my opinion, it's just another bill written by whomever, these authors, to try and fleece your hard-earned money. And I think if everyone actually read these propositions, you'd be alarmed at what this governor and this legislature is trying to do with all this woke nonsense. I mean, maybe it was written by the, I don't know, the same people who came out with the, uh, you know, you can't fish anymore because it's, it's uh, bad for the fish. If you were a veterinarian or a rancher and you were trying to do any kind of artificial insemination, you were going to go to jail for, I don't know, all sorts of vegan reasons. But uh, what the hell, little Newsom? Is this what you want Colorado to turn into? Another version of California? Kind of seems that way, doesn't it? So I encourage you to crack open that blue booklet. You may get a paper cut or two, but that's okay. As long as you're familiar with what's going on and read it carefully, because once you start reading it, it is obvious what's happening with this uh, proposition. So my vote is no on 123 and no to the authors who think they're going to pull the wool over our eyes. Well, one last story that caught my eye before we bring in Mayor Labar. In the first interview since being sentenced to 20 years in prison for sex trafficking teen girls, the Jeffrey Epstein cohort, Ghislaine Maxwell, she said she feels so bad for her dear friend Prince Andrew, or as we call him, Dirty Andy. Ew. And if you see the picture of her, she looks like she was just in a, I don't know, orange is the new black fist fight. She's got a black eye. She looks really, really old and lost. And I mean, bottom line, she just, she looks like hell. And uh, I feel so bad for him, is what she says. I follow what's happening to him, said Maxwell, who is 60. Man, man, she looks more like 70 plus to me. But anyway, she was talking about Dirty Andy from her cell in Florida. She goes on to say that I accept that this friendship could not survive my conviction. He is paying such a price for the association, but I consider him a dear friend and I care about him. Well, Dirty Andy, at least you still have one fan after you had sex with a 17-year-old girl supplied to you by Epstein and your buddy Ghislaine Maxwell. And of course, Dirty Andy, for all his dirty dealings, was stripped of all his honorary roles and leadership from various charities and titles and so forth. And uh, no more your royal highness for Dirty Andy. The queen saw to that. And what she did say, this is, this is a great part because now she's copying a plea as if she was a victim. She said, meeting Epstein was one of the greatest mistakes of my life. And obviously, if I could go back, I'd avoid meeting him. Yeah, I bet you could avoid meeting him with the champagne dinners, the private airplanes as you're massaging his feet. Yeah, we've all seen those pictures. But did she ever say that she was sorry for contributing to the horrors that 
these girls faced after knowingly grooming and recruiting these teenage girls for sexual encounters with her and Epstein. Remember, she took part in all of this stuff, right? But we know the answer to that. No, of course not. She's sad that she's serving time and that she got caught. And now, somebody is, of course, doing a documentary film about her, her exploits, in her words, and the time that she's spending in the hole right now. So, there's a good chance that that's where you're going to be for the rest of your life there, Ghislaine, and uh, maybe try and use some time to help someone while you're getting your ass kicked in prison. Jeez, really. What is it with these people? Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to the mayor of Woodland Park, Hillary Labar, and this is one conversation I don't think you want to miss, so stick around. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for, because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at C-S-A-B-O-D-E.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. Back to the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zarrell, and in the Bear Cave right now, it's time for the Mayor's Corner with Woodland Park Mayor Hillary Labar. Welcome back. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. But uh, hey, earlier we were talking about uh, this is our kind of year, or, or I should say our kind of time of year right now. Yes. Halloween. Really is mine. I love it. Yeah, you're into it, right? Yeah. I uh, I make costumes, So, and I have some masks up at the our reserve gallery up here. And then on the, uh, I think it's the 28th, I have a gallery gala. So it's a big Halloween party and uh, it's a great time. And then uh, from there, we head up to Estes. Stanley. That's like a this big kind of witch burning celebration or whatever goes on up there. I'm not sure what goes up there. I've read about it, but what, what's that all about? There's a, um, my very favorite band, they're a local band called Davachka. They play, and they play um, a mixture of, well, I want to say it's kind of um, like gypsy-esque, 
um, pop music right. and they sing in Spanish and French and English oh, that's cool. and um, they have a black tie ball. They have it for three days up there, but we just go for the one night for the concert and uh, everybody gets dressed up and has a great time. And they also have a, like a circus before the show. Then no they have kidding. the concert. And then after the concert, they have like a DJ that plays an after party and it's all at the Stanley and it's so much fun. How do I not know about this? I don't know. I don't know how the whole world doesn't know. It's wonderful. Yeah. Cause you can tell, you know, pulling up into the, the bear cave. I mean, we're, we're like into it. You got it. You got it all decked out for Halloween. You're ready. It it takes like three or four days to set it all up because, you know, I've I've got to go the extra mile and get the the right lighting and everything else. I I kind of dive back into my, you know, theatrical film days and kind of make it happen. And then I remember the first year I had it set up, I was uh, chasing the wind around with a fog machine because it just (laughs) wasn't right, you know, and uh, I'm all out of breath, you know, running, running up and down the hill. Yeah. Finally, I just said, screw it. That's it. It's going to land wherever it's going to land. So. Get here about 7.30, you know, when we light everything up because the wind will be blowing the right direction. Right. Through the tombstones and everything else. But uh, no, that's well, that's, cool. that's cool. Yeah, you're you're into it for sure. Yeah, I always have been. So well, I, don't, I don't really have a great explanation for it, but I've just always loved Halloween. I love, I think it's a lot of it's the art of the costume making and yeah, and just stuff like that. So see, for me, that's all about the art and what kind of sets I can build outside. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then I get upset because the the little tiny kids show up and the you know they they always roll up in like three or four vans, <laughs> and then you got like these five and six year olds and they just blow right past it. Yeah, they don't care. They just want that candy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they just want that high fructose corn syrup. You know, that's what they want. Yeah. And yeah. Then, uh, I'm still out there trying to light up like every little detail and the rat's eyes aren't just right. Yeah. It's, it's become an obsession. <laughs> yeah. I'm Crazy. kind of probably saved my marriage that we live in a neighborhood where we don't get trick or treaters. So I don't decorate the house. Actually the inside I do, but not the outside. Right. So yeah. Cause otherwise that would be, I'm consuming too. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's, it's all about the art. You know, I've always liked horror movies and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, it's funny if you drive up in my driveway, I have plastic skeletons hanging in the garage because nice. I use them for, for costume pieces and right, things. Right. But it's just funny that there you can see all these skulls hanging from my garage. Ceiling. Like who the hell lives here? I know. <laughs> oh, the mayor. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's uh, effigies of the city council is hanging up inside our garage. Oh right my now. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Well, anyway, speaking of city council, one hot topic issue after mm. another lately. And it's, uh, I'll start off with, I guess, with the uh, whole Karis issue, which was completely out of your control. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it ended the way it's going to end. Right. But uh, there's that uh, short-term housing issue that's just always kind of lingering. Kind of, It was kind of lingering back there in the in the hinterland. And now you guys are taking it on. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not real happy with it. So I'm not happy with the way council's going about it. Uh, they kind of went from zero to 10,000 with wanting to ban them completely in residential zones. That will be the initial posting. Right now, the majority of council supports banning them completely in residential zones, which I completely don't support. And there's a number of reasons I don't. And so 86% of our short-term rentals are currently in residential neighborhoods. I don't even know where to start with it because I'm so, I haven't been angry over a topic in a long time. I'm angry over this topic because I think that there are reasonable steps that we could take to deal with the short-term housing, but to outright ban them for a majority of the owners, I think is uh, irresponsible. I think it's incredibly damaging to those owners. I think it's damaging to the economy up here. We get around 200,000 some from the short-term rentals up here. The city does Uh, like 50,000 goes to streets, 50,000 goes to school district and to outright ban those is taking 
that money immediately away from the city. But that's not my number one concern. My number one concern is we are ripping away these entrepreneurs businesses from them and their incomes from them. And that really bothers me, especially right now during a recession and the economy that we're in. You just said the R word that people have been avoiding, but we're, we're already in it. Oh yeah. We're in a recession a hundred percent. So we're already in it. Yeah. And you know, with the housing industry and the interest rates now, I'm not freaked out over the interest rates because I think they're actually pretty normal. Our interest rates of 2.5%, those were abnormal. Those were an anomaly and they were great to have, but. Um, yeah. I mean, cause you look at 10 years ago, if you got a 4.55 or 6% interest rate. You hit the lotto. Yeah. You were sitting in fat city. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 6% is totally normal. Right. So, but I'm, I'm really concerned that the council isn't considering the economic impact to the families that own these homes and people are going to argue, well, it's not just families, it's investors. Investors are, they still have families to feed. They still have things to take care of. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of emails and feedback. I think Karis was probably the only other topic where I got a ton of emails on. Endless emails all day long? Yeah. Citizens don't usually participate that much in the issues that council deals with. Uh, Even though it can still touch you in your daily life, a lot of people don't really pay attention. So you don't get a lot of feedback. And with these short-term rentals, I've gotten some feedback of, well, they don't fit within the definitions of the code, except I could really argue it because it's semantics. The definitions are semantics because it uses the term family and it uses the term dwelling and it uses certain terms that could be semantically argued. And I could also argue that the houses that are used are not lodging. It's an alternative to lodging. And it caught on like wildfire for people because people wanted to be able to go on vacation with their families. They don't want to have to get multiple hotel rooms or, you know, like I like to stay in Airbnbs because I like to take my dogs with me everywhere I go. And they get a yard and privacy. And if they bark, they're not sharing a wall with the people next to them so they don't annoy anyone. And I like the privacy of an Airbnb when I travel. I don't like to stay in hotels. I also feel safer in a home than I do in a hotel, especially if I'm traveling alone. Those are all here and are there. I'm I'm really concerned about the economic impact we will have to these families. And the emails that I've received are, you know, like there's two school teachers that couldn't afford housing up here. So they run an Airbnb. They live on the bottom level of one. They are the caretakers. And it was a way for them to be able to accept teaching positions up here and live here. If we ban the residential short-term housing, they'll be out of a house. And they'll also be out of a job and then they'll have to leave the teaching job. And the other argument I'm, I'm really getting tired of hearing is, you know, oh, if we ban them, it'll make housing more affordable. That's a farce. I never believed that one at all. And, uh, you know, for me, because I do live in an area where there's Airbnbs and I'm kind of a no man's land here. Yeah. And that's kind of where the bear cave is. My issue is that, uh, and, and I understand everything that you're saying. My issue is that when it becomes a business for some people, for wealthier people, right? Mm-hmm. that don't live in this area, when things happen, there's no recourse for the neighbors to talk to anyone. There's there's nobody to talk to or call. Now, I don't have a problem with someone who lives in the community, has their Airbnb, their responsible owners, because we have a lot of them. Yeah. The thing that amazed me, and I think we talked about this last time you were on just a little bit, was how many there actually were up here. I was shocked. I thought, nah, you know, my naivete. 
It's like, yeah, how many Airbnbs could there be? Maybe yeah. 40, 50? Well, there's about 100 and some, but they're not all currently active at the same time. Right. But even so, I mean, the number was staggering. I mean, if yeah. you don't really kind of understand what's going on, to me, it was just like, are you kidding me? Here's the thing with this ordinance that's coming up. My problem is banning them outright. Right. I'm happy to talk about regulation or capping, or I would like to start with the good neighbor policy. What I'm finding is the majority of the complaints are code uh, enforcement complaints. So it's like, why can't we look at getting another code enforcement officer? Why can't we start small where we're not damaging people's livelihoods? Because most of the people that have sent me an email, actually, I think all of the people that have sent me emails currently, they are all residents. You know, they live here in Woodland Park. They're not, I'm not hearing from people in California and New York and Texas. Of course not. I know they own them. I know that their property managers are probably paying attention to what's going on, but we're talking about taking the livelihood out from under someone. And during one of the worst economic times in current history, and I just think that's incredibly communist of us. I I can't imagine doing that. And I also can't imagine telling someone, uh, for example, I'll just use myself because it's easy. I live in a house. My mom lives on the bottom floor. So I basically have two homes in my house. When my mom passes away or leaves, I have a full house underneath me. If I want to use that to bring in some income for myself. I should be able to use it as I see fit. I should still be a good neighbor and respectful to my neighbors, but I should be able to do that. And even if they'd be willing to consider, you know, having it being owner occupied or locally owned or something like that. But how can we strip away someone's right to the use and enjoyment of their home and not consider what kind of damage that can do to someone's livelihood? I just think it's it's insane. And they want to move it all to commercial and only allow short-term rentals in commercial zone. That means that's a 29% tax. Well, that's that's also unrealistic, I think. I mean, yeah. okay, so what's the commercial zone? Do I have to go build a house in, you know, next to the city market? And or? you can't. Exactly. It, you'd have to go in and ask for a change of zoning. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I mean, there's no logic what they're even doing. And the reality is, and I'll, and I'm... Not afraid to say it because it's the truth. Frank Connors ran because he has a Texas neighbor who owns a house who runs an Airbnb and he hates it. And he hates him. He hates the Texan. I can empathize with him to a certain degree. I really can. Sure. But at what point does how you feel about something trump someone's freedom of their private property? I mean, if somebody hated you. Oh, there's plenty of that around here. Right. But do they have a right then to dictate your freedom right. because of how they feel about something? And I hear the concern of you know a campfire or they're having a party. And there's a lot that goes into that. And code ordinance is one of them. And we only have one officer right now. And I think that personally, I think Zulawaga's argument for it going into commercial is because he doesn't want to give the staff any funding to regulate these in any way, shape, or form. Well, if I'm not mistaken, he was the same person that wanted to give all the tax money back to the citizens and have nothing left in the kitty to begin with, if I remember that right from his campaign. Yeah, and it's bizarre because how do you tout that you're this constitutionalist and, and constitution first and your your house is your kingdom and all this crap and you're going to take it out from under them? Because why? And you're going to tax them at, I, I don't know, what's 29% over 7%? Right. There is no logic to what they're doing. And the others who are supporting it, it's because they don't want it next to them. That's that's me. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I hate an Airbnb being next to me because I have certain concerns. One is sure. security. 
Another one is encroaching on my rights. A lot of people don't talk about that, but the neighbor rights. But I can't control if there's a bad owner next door. And that's my issue. Is like, how do you, how do you, I guess you can't really can't control is a you bad word. You can't control a bad neighbor. I mean, and if you have someone who's long-term renting, you can't even get them out of the house. You've got to evict them, you know? And with the short-term rentals, people who are on Airbnb, VRBO, and other sites, they strive to make their homes beautiful and really well-kept because they get graded and they get feedback. Right. And then the tenants, or the, not tenants, but the guests that stay there are, are also graded and their feedback is out there. So if they're a lousy guest, that goes on the site. And so other Airbnb people don't have to rent to them if they don't want to. Is there a minus five stars that I can yeah. go somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's where I got next door. So. Well, what happens is the people who do really well are considered like super hosts and their homes will show first before any other homes on the websites. Right. I looked into some of the houses that are available and they're booked out past March. And, you know, there's homes in the counties. There's right now there's a $2.2 million home for sale. that is a regular Airbnb. And it rents for $1,600 a night. Holy smokes. Yeah. It's booked till March. Wow. And it's booked from people who have come there for years because you can read, right. you know, all the people and their feedback. And there's tons of feedback from families who are like, we love this house. We love the scenery. We love the privacy. And we've been coming for many years and will come for many more. Yeah. See, I can relate to that because I go to the San Juans every year and I've been renting the condo from the same person for a decade. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're responsible owners. Right. But uh, the sticky wicket is... For example, I mean, you can go to big cities, certain big cities. You can't have a, a short-term rental or VRBO or anything like that. So the argument is, well, they come up to Woodland Park and they start buying real estate and they can get away with it up here. What do you say to those people who criticize that? My concern is outright banning them. Okay. I think there's ways to regulate responsibly that doesn't devastate people economically who currently have them. My other concern is I look like New York, Paris, Santa Monica, all of them are incredibly strict. Uh, Hawaii a super strict, but none of them have outright banned them in residential areas. I'm still trying to get $1,600 a night out of my, my brain. Yeah. <laughs> that's a house payment. It's a beautiful home. And that's the other thing is, you know, there aren't regular families competing for a two point. $2 million home. Right. It's not going to be affordable to the majority of us. You know, Aspen has regulated them. Vail has regulated them. Breckenridge has regulated them, not outright banned them. Can you afford a home up in Aspen? I can't afford a bottle of water in Aspen. Right. But regulating them or banning them did not make the housing market more affordable either because it's who can afford it going to get it. So the affordability argument is out the door as far as I'm concerned. There's no data. There's no hard evidence. There's nothing factual about banning short-term residents makes it affordable. The only thing that makes housing affordable is building more housing. And the community up here flips out about that too. And they say, well, the short-term rentals changes the character of the neighborhood. Like townhomes don't, like apartment buildings don't. And apartment buildings bring in what? 150, 200, 300 residents, right. you know, where a short-term rental brings in whoever can stay at the home for however amount of time. You're like, well, I don't like who's coming and going. Well, it's none of your damn business who's coming and going. It's not your business. Your neighbor's house is not your business until it impacts you. And if it impacts you, it's probably some code ordinance and you can call the police, you can call the sheriff, call the city and they'll respond. I have TCSO on speed dial on my phone. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, the, the people who own these places should do a better job. And a lot of them do a good job at telling their tenants 
how to behave and why it matters. And don't start fires. Don't feed wildlife. Don't do these things. And they're illegal. And I see that on websites uh, yeah. for a couple of shark terminals that, I, that I've had contact with. It's like, oh, yeah, you can come up here, feed the deer, all this other kind of stuff. So I, I told the caretakers, like, you guys really need to take this off right. of your website. And that was uh, two months ago. Yeah. Nothing's changed. So, I, you know. Well, and that's the thing is they, they have to be licensed through the city. So when they would come in to get their license, and it has to be renewed every December 31st. But then again, I'm in no man's land, so to speak. So. Yeah. Well, and the county, I think, is watching us to figure out what they're going to do. I, you know, I was going to say that because um, the council, you are really setting a precedence for what's going to happen in Teller County because right. uh, the thing that drives me crazy, and it's just, you know, knowing me because I'm just a promudgeon anyway, it's, it's the wait and see attitude. We're done with wait and see. We can't wait and see anymore. And that's always the uh, politically safe answer, isn't it? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, we're going to wait and see. So um, you really have a, a huge responsibility. Because what's going to happen in Woodland Park is what's going to set the precedence for at least the people that live in the county and not like, you know, Cripple Creek or Victor or something like that. The other thing the city isn't thinking of is if they outright ban it in residential, then anyone who wants to purchase a home and have the freedom to use it, they're going to buy in the county. They're not going to buy in the city. I mean, the whole, oh, for sure. the whole economic cycle of outright banning them is not in the best interest of this community. And I know there are people who are like, but I hate that it's next door to me. That's a human nature kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it's a natural reaction. I had the same reaction. I mean, I'll be the first one to say it. I can have empathy with it, but as a public official who has to make the law about it, I have to weigh people's freedom and their right to make a living, have a retirement, be an entrepreneur. And the argument of, well, it's a business. Well, okay, my, my neighbor who lives next to me built an entire building to make signs, runs his sign business out of his front yard. I have no problem with it. I feel like it's his freedom to be an entrepreneur and to make his income and to have that business. And for me to fight him on it, why am I going to fight him on his freedom to live? I'm hearing your inner libertarian coming out. You know, it's... (laughs) I mean that respectfully, by the way. Yeah. And because that's how I feel. I I feel like we all of us should have the freedom to be entrepreneurs. I mean, it's capitalism and freedom. It's Milton Friedman. It's it is what it is. These things were allowed knowing what the zoning was. They've been allowed all over the country and people want to use them. They're popular. They're working for whatever reason. They're working. You know, investors have caught on to that. And when I say investors, I don't mean like BlackRock. I don't mean the Chinese. I mean, normal Joe Schmo who had a the ability to maybe mortgage his house, get a line of equity or whatever, and pick up a second home and start using it. Or they live in their home and they're renting out their basement. I think it's that's America that, you know, anyone from anywhere in the world can come buy a home here. On the good side of this of this whole argument is that you're taking your time to do that. So I don't have a problem with a moratorium going another 90 days or another six months until it's all figured out. This is one of those things that you can't really rush into. We are, though. The council has the initial posting and it's the it, the posting is banning them in in residential. And right now, majority supports that. Wow. That's a that's a tough hill to climb. Yeah. Only council member uh, Case, myself and Neil don't support it. To me, there has to be some kind of a compromise. Right. It's just not an easy answer. 
No, it is. I'm with you in that regard because I don't know that all the arguments have been heard. I don't think they have. And, and been debated. Well, I, I certainly don't think banning them outright has even been weighed. And I really think that it's this is a vote based solely on personal opinion of how they feel about something. This isn't logical at all because they'll want to argue, well, they're not zoned for it in residential. One of the emails I got earlier said, uh, why not put this up to the voters? Why why aren't the voters being able to vote on what happens in their city? What's, what do you say to that? Well, I suppose it is something that could potentially go to the ballot. It's council's job to, in the charter, this, this is our job is to create the legal precedence for this kind of thing. Yeah, I just want to get listeners and, and ideas as to why that is, because it'd be nice to vote on, on it and say, okay, this is what's happening, but we're not the ones who are necessarily chartered to make those laws and those right. ordinances. That's why we voted for people like yourself and council to yeah. do that. That's their job. I mean, I don't think it would be that bad of an idea if it went to the voters. Well, you present a strong argument for sure. If it was a perfect world, what would you say to this whole short-term rental issue? Well, I, I mean, I think it's right of us to be looking at it and thinking about it and learning about, you know, the benefits and the consequences to the community. But honest to God, I can only right now, the only um, negative things that I'm understanding are primarily code ordinance violations. It is not a short-term rental problem. It is a code ordinance problem. So let's look into how we can help better enforce those codes, you know, and have faster response time. And because we control the licensing, there are steps we can take that don't rip people's freedoms away from them. And I think starting out small and slow in this community is a lot better than being as aggressive as the majority of council wants to be right now. I think the economic impact of that decision will hurt so many people in this community. And that's something we need to weigh, really consider, because if all of a sudden we have over 180 homes that are now on the market because people who were running them can no longer afford to run them and can no longer afford to live in them, what is that? due to the market. It crashes our small microcosm of a housing market. Right. It doesn't make it better. You know, the homes that could potentially go into foreclosure are not suddenly affordable either. The bank's not going to take 50 grand for a $900,000 home that's in foreclosure. And we did that. We caused that. So... You know, in a perfect world, we start slow and understand the impact of our decisions to a much better degree. Wise words from Mayor Hillary Labar. And uh, I, I got to say that, uh, you know, we don't see eye to eye on everything. And if we did, it would be a pretty boring world, right? Yeah. But uh, I appreciate your comments and, and uh, getting your side of the story because, uh, you know, people need to know that. Once again, I appreciate you coming in like you do uh, every quarter. And uh, we probably won't see you until uh, January, I guess, is the next time you'll be coming in. But uh, yeah. unless you want to come in earlier and talk about stuff, you're always welcome for sure. Well, thanks. And I would like to remind anyone who is listening, if they are, no matter what side of the short-term rentals argument they're on, November third will be the public hearing. And I really strongly recommend that you come in and speak because we've gotten emails. Those are great, but they can't be read on the record. So if you have sent me an email and you're listening, please come into council on November 3rd and, and tell us your story. If you haven't sent emails, but you're impacted by this one way or another, please come in and tell your story. I know it's scary to do public speaking, but it's really critical that these council members hear personal stories and how they could um, potentially impact people's lives.
Tips. Well said. And uh, we're going to be down the first week of November, but we'll make sure that we remind you that this meeting's coming up and uh, send us an email in case we forget. Because yeah, I will. I'll be that guy because I had that little Medicare card in my wallet now. <laughs> and it is very important. And uh, leave your anger hat at home and come with uh, logic and reason. Yeah, that would be much appreciated. Woodland Park Mayor Hillary Labar, thanks for coming in. We always enjoy having you here in the Bear Cave. Thanks. I always have a great time. I appreciate the conversation. All right, coming up next, it's more spooky stuff this week. Yep, it's story time with Michelle, so don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. back in the bear cave and right now it's story time with michelle on the bear cave hotline hey michelle what's going on today hey you know it's a beautiful day up here in cripple creek sunshine and yeah starting to get a little cool though out there isn't it it is yeah yeah definitely seeing frost already but you know as long as the sun is shining and we're not having snow yet that's good it's easy to drive in still <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm, I'm kind of down with that so uh have you had a couple of uh busy days with uh spooky people coming in and and uh paranormal types no we just did i hosted a ghost hunt um monday monday night it was just two young ladies came in and they got some really interesting stuff we've got another group coming in on saturday and then another one in November and then hopefully I can be done for the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that, uh, that all important day is fast approaching on us anyway. Cause, uh, the bear cave spooky words were kind of just teasing a little bit at a time, but, uh, we decided that, yeah, Saturday, we're just going to go full on, you know, bring on the smoke and the sound effects. So nice. Yeah. If people nice. are out there. They, they want to pop on by. Yeah. Well, like I said, I always say the same thing. It's like, we'll be more than happy to supply you with some high fructose corn syrup and watch you bounce your way back down the, uh, the driveway. So exactly. Have at it, <laughs> no, but. we got to get out there and see it. We do. Yeah. You need to come on by for sure. Anyway, in the meantime, I know you're really busy today as well, but, uh, what have we got going on this week for our spooky story time? Last week we talked about, um, hauntings like in people's homes and things like that. So I'm going to stick with that for another one. I found this one. It's, uh, over in Victor. So I found it pretty interesting. It says, um, at 213, how convenient, Victor Avenue <laughs> is the Dunn Building, a former undertaker's parlor with apartments upstairs. Its owner, Skip Phillips, says simply, I love my ghosts. He connects more with the continued influence of the owner's wife, Mrs. T.F. Dunn, who survived her husband by some years and who ran a boarding house upstairs where the Phillips used to live. Phillips said he had felt the presence of Mrs. Dunn rather than seeing her and refers to her as his caretaker. I don't know. That's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're starting to identify with ghosts rather than humans these days, it's 
Well, that's probably a smart thing to do because you know, <laughs> yeah, it seems like people are possessed <laughs> anyway nowadays. But yeah, that's kind of kind of creepy. I don't think I'd want to live in an apartment above a uh, undertaker. But uh, hey, that's just me. Yeah, yeah. So not only does Mrs. Dunn manifest as usual footsteps, Philip says, but an earlier tenant is said to have seen a woman dressed in black leaning over his bed upstairs in what had been one of Mrs. Dunn's eleven rental rooms. This man also told Phillips of a crying sound in the building all the time. Oh no! Yikes! No. I know. <laughs> well, last week it was a baby, but uh, crying? Nope, I'm gonzo. Exactly, exactly. It sounds like they just had this conversation. Oh, by the way. <laughs> Jeez. No. Yeah. Last thing you're going to hear is the door slamming shut because I'm, I'm gone. Exactly. So according to Phillips, Mrs. Dunn hides food. This is weird. Oh, boy. We don't know where it goes. Homemade bread will just disappear. Once my wife baked cookies to take on a trip to Denver, we put them in the truck, shut the, and locked it. When we got to Denver two and a half hours later, they were gone. What? What if a hungry ghost? Huh? Isn't that weird? <laughs> well, in the Buddhist tradition, there are such things as hungry ghosts, but those are people who grasp at things and not necessarily cookies. Correct. Correct. <laughs> wow. Then he says, then there was the missing wallet episode. While visiting friends in the Denver suburb of Lakewood, Phillips had taken his wallet from his pants pocket in front of witnesses to check the amount of cash he had. When he reached the house where he was to stay that night, he found his wallet was missing. Searching at both houses failed to turn it up. We came home to Victor and there the wallet lay in the middle of the floor, he said. So you've got a hungry, thieving ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can't evict him. Right? <laughs> it was her place first anyway. Good Lord. <laughs> so Phillips tells how he and other persons have felt watched in particular parts of the building, especially around the rear door and where the stairway comes up from the basement. Several psychics have told him that something really sad happened in the upstairs bedroom, and others have told him that they feel the concentrated essence of sorrow distilled from all the mourners who visited the undertaker decades ago. Oh, so just boy. imagine how many creepy things are really going on it's an undertaker building well yeah of course they're sad because they're hungry and now they're broke right <laughs> exactly they stole your damn wallet <laughs> so I, as far as i understand the dunn building still stands over in victor so you can check that out and see if you get any weird stuff happening now you know i'm gonna do that right you, i know you know I i'm know. gonna go find that building now thanks a lot 213 213 victor avenue <laughs> oh man Oh, there's another one. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of so like awesome, said, though. Yeah, when you think about yeah, it. it. It really is. It really is. I know my staff have talked about things being moved or missing at the jail when, on their shift and stuff. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so, that uh, that gives us uh, something to look forward to. It's like 213, and it's the Dunn Building, right? The Dunn Building. D-U-N-N Building. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, I, I I can't not go there now. So I know. Th thanks for that one. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But uh, anyway, I know uh, the season's kind of wound down now, but uh, a couple of things still going up there in Cripple Creek. Well, you know, the, of course, the Heritage Center's open. The jail is open. Um, the Molly did shut down. The train is shut down. And for Halloween, as far as I know, the main thing going on is the Trunk or Treat, which is hosted by the Cripple Creek Parks and Rec Department. And that will be on Halloween on the 31st. So that's kind of all we got going on over here. Oh, not to mention, I'm going to see the matinee this weekend at the Butte Theater of Young Frankenstein. Oh, you're going to the matinee. We're going to the night show. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, maybe we'll yeah. pass each other. 
Who knows? We might. Yeah. No, we're definitely going to go watch it too. Super excited. Yeah. Last time I talked to uh, Zach Staniel, he said, uh, you got to get there because uh, they're getting over 100 people per show. That's phenomenal. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, they're killing it. All right, Michelle. Well, we got, uh, what, one more week left before Halloween. So, uh, yeah, challenge is on for next week we'll have to outdo ourselves but uh, Undertaker's food and stolen wallets um, can't. yeah yeah well next one actually I already picked out the one for next week and we're going to talk about Cripple Creek's most favorite ghost next week alright sounds like a winner to me alright in the meantime uh, be safe out there and uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week sounds like a plan hey you guys be safe too and go check out the haunted woods come on by <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fill you full of sugar for sure I love it we'll be there <laughs> alright Michelle thanks a bunch and we'll talk to you soon okay take care bye bye Bye. That was my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, calling us from the Heritage Center up in Cripple Creek. And uh, yeah, lots of spooky stuff going on up there. Well, up next on the Bear Cave Hotline, it's our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, what's happening today? Oh, not a whole lot. Enjoying this fall weather. Yeah, man, it's that time of year for sure. It's getting a little crisp, but I'm surprised we haven't gotten any snow yet. Not, yeah, not that I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, a little surprising. You had a little bit of a trip this weekend, right? Yeah, I actually decided about a week ago that I was going to go back to Fort Collins for my first homecoming since I graduated 15 years ago, and this is my first homecoming. I've been back a couple times, but I've never gone to an actual homecoming events or the homecoming games. So I went and watched the game they played against Utah State. They were beat seven. 1713, but it was a pretty close game. It was nice to check out their new stadium and see all the changes they made on campus. I bet the drive up and back was not fun. <laughs> no, yeah. traffic up there is just insane. So what's uh what's happening locally? I mean, there's a it seems like we're kind of in a if we're not talking about short-term rentals, we're not talking about anything, but it's just a you know kind of the sign of the times and we don't want to rehash that because the mayor just talked about all that stuff, but Probably the biggest news that I was a part of last week was um, Shield 616 presentation where the founder, Jake Skidstad, was able to, I guess he, he got an anonymous donor that basically came forward and said that they wanted to give a bunch of money for the Taylor County Sheriff's to get rifle armor. According to the sheriff, all the previous rifle armor setups were getting to be about at the five-year mark. And after five years, they go bad and they're not really useful anymore. So the sheriff was trying to figure out how he was going to come up with, you know, upwards of $200,000 to replace all the body armor and get everybody new equipment. And then I guess while he was talking to his command staff about that, Lieutenant Ernie Bunting walked in the office, was like, I just got a phone call from Shield 616. And Jake Skipsad said that he got an anonymous donor and wants to give us all body armor. So they actually partnered with the Honorary Deputy Sheriff's Association, who does a lot of fundraising. So they had one of their better years this year or last year, and they were able to raise about $400,000 with that organization. So they had some extra money. So they were able to add to what the anonymous donor gave and they were able to cover I think it was 72 vests that went out to everybody even the sheriff himself and all his command staff got one this is top of the line it's angel armor it's pretty much the best of the best it's and and they were all custom fit for each deputy so it was it was a pretty neat presentation the founder told his story and he was a former Colorado Springs police officer for 15 years and he was involved in two different active shooter scenarios and one of them was, it was the New Life Church shooting. He was a patrol officer. And, he, and then the last one, he was actually, he was on the SWAT team during the Planned Parenthood shooting. 
everything. And he told a big story of how all that unfolded. It was pretty interesting. And I guess after that is when he decided that since both of those situations he was in were the shooters were using assault rifles, he kind of came up with the idea and it took him a couple of years to get the nonprofit going. But his whole goal is to outfit police departments with armor that can stop bullets coming from rifles. And then last Wednesday, he partnered with KRDO and they did a whole like day-long telethon where they raised over like $60,000. Yeah, I saw that on KRDO and I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. Well, you know what, man? I, I say, God bless that guy. I hope they never, ever have to use them. Good for the TCSO, man. Most of them are going to be wearing them all the time. Sheriff said he pretty much wants them to be wearing them. Oh, absolutely. These days, you never know. These vests are half the weight. Yeah, technology has changed the game for sure. But uh, man, I am sure glad that they got that protection because uh, these days, like I say, you never know. But uh, anyway, good for them. Uh, what else you got going on? Anything happening with the school board? Yeah, actually, it came out. Um, they issued a press release last week saying that, um, I guess, District Judge Scott Sells approved a summary judgment what they're calling it. It's basically ended the lawsuit against the school board. So, so the judge said that during a meeting in April that, that they fixed any sort of laws that they broke and that they made up for it in April so that there is no other violation. And he denied any sort of funds giving back to the person who started the lawsuit. From what I understand, it pretty much sounds like it's over now. That It ended school board one, and that's, that's at least how they're taking it. Yeah, that's kind of the way I understood it, too, is that uh, I think this is the end of the line now. So that's a, that's a lot of GoFundMe money that just swirled down the drain. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I guess they, I think they were just trying to make a point and trying to get them to behave themselves. It's all I can really figure. I think everybody in the community is just kind of tired of hearing about all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, let's get on with the business of teaching our kids. Whatever institution that they're going to, the bottom line is we need a good education system. It's about the kids and the adults just need to get out of the sandbox and just move on with life. You know, it's just, it, it just gets tiresome after a while. Yeah. So hopefully that's the end of that. And uh, like you and I have been talking about, it's like, we've got an election coming up here and there's bigger fish to fry than whether you like Merit Academy or not or who said what. And it's just, it's time to move on. And uh, you got to dig into that little blue booklet because that, uh, that voting stuff is coming up here really soon. Yeah. You know, the Democrats are desperately trying to break up the island, so to speak, because, you know, we are, we're definitely an island in, in Colorado. And uh, I also noticed by some of the polls, which I don't really take into account as the gospel truth because... We all saw what happened last election. The polls couldn't have been, you know, 180 degrees off than, than what they were. It was, it was a disaster. What I'm seeing is that Lauren Boebert is starting to slip a little bit. And I can see why, because she's she's somewhat of a radical for the Republican side, I think. I, I keep calling her the AOC of, uh, of the Republican Party. And what brings this to mind is because I watched the county commissioners meeting last week. I think it was last Wednesday. And half the meeting was all about the vote deniers and the the people who were denying that the election, you know, the I should say the election stealers, those guys. Yeah. And and half the public comments in the morning were all about security of the elections. And there was even comments made about how Woodland Park's election may have been tainted. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you just got your ass kicked. So now you're mad still because you lost the election. And uh, it didn't have anything to do with it, with ballots being stuffed or, or voting being bad. It had everything to do about the marketing was bad for one side versus the other. 
that's what it came down to. But there's still people that are distrustful of any kind of dominion systems and things like that. In my opinion, most of the talk was kind of crazy anyway, but uh, our friend Stephanie Keese was up there to set the record straight. And, uh, you know, the county commissioners were just, they, they kind of took it all in stride and uh, expressed their concerns about voting too. But there's still a lot of distrust that's happening up here, at least in this community. And, uh, you know, the Democrats are, are trying to get that foothold in to uh, this, this part of Colorado, because like I say, we're kind of an island in the, in the entire state. I, for one, am hoping that the woke don't get a foothold in this community. It's out of control. It's ridiculous. So uh, all I can say is uh, either the Republicans or some libertarians better have a decent game plan because uh, I can tell you, me personally speaking, I'm over the left. This whole wokeness has become a disaster. But now we have a president who is going to Saudi Arabia and just pissing them off and making disparaging comments. So it, it goes from the top all the way down. All I can say is if the people of Colorado vote in little Gavin Newsom one more time and the, the things that they're trying to pull off, you can kiss your tabor check goodbye because it's not going to exist anymore. Anyway, okay, now I'm, I'm done venting, <laughs> I think. Well, maybe not, but... Let's move on to something more unpleasant, and that is uh, high school sports. Uh, not a good weekend for our boys last weekend, was it? No, not so much. Um, I mean, they, they might have expected as much. Uh, they Going into the game, they were number eight statewide, and Florence was number five statewide, and none of those kids had ever played a top five team ever. So they were kind of not favored, but put it that way. But, you know, they went out there, and it was a Saturday afternoon game, and it was in Florence, and they went out there and gave the Carroll, but they ended up losing 39 to nothing. But at least Florence, who they played, beat Manitou 60 to nothing. So at least we've got bragging rights that we didn't lose as <laughs> bad as our rivals, Manitou. So. Well, I guess that's a silver lining in a dark cloud. But the good news is I talked to the coach last week and they still, even with this loss, they still have a really good chance of making it to the playoffs because the top 16 in 2A go to the playoffs now. I guess they changed it. They don't use the coach's rating and the this rating and that rating anymore. It basically just goes straight to the top 16 and then they invert it. So number one will play 16, two will play 15, all the way to like eight and nine. Oh, so they brought the good old days back again because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was trying to look at some of the playoffs and how they were all working. It's like new math. You know, yeah. two plus two is still going to equal four, but uh, you don't have to take five pages of paper to, to figure that out, you know? So I'm glad that they kept it simple. Yeah. Because it was way confusing the way these playoffs were working. So, you know, finally, somebody with a brain finally just went, hey, wait a minute, man. It's like one plays six, two plays five. And just, you know, playoff stuff. We should win this game this week. We're going on the road to Lamar, but Lamar's like one and six. Well, nothing is a give me in sports anymore. And, uh, you know, the Panthers got two games left and they're both really must win games. So, you know, like they say, take one game at a time and uh, hopefully they come back victorious. Yeah, we're hoping two games left we can get two wins. And if that happens, then we've, we've got to give momentum to go into the playoffs. Good luck to them and uh, we're behind them here in the barricade, that's for sure. We'll spend less time venting on Denver this week. And uh, all I can say is just hold on to your hats and see what happens next week. And, uh, 
and go from there. Yeah. All right, Trevor. Well, we'll be catching up to you again one of these fine days. Uh, probably same time, same station next week. And uh, until then. All right. That sounds good. We have a good day. All right, Trevor. Thanks. Have a good one. That was our field producer, Trevor Phipps. And right now on the Bear Cave Hotline is our friend, Victor Main Street Manager, Kim Lodig. Kim, how are you today? Hey, Dennis. I'm doing really well. How are you? Well, I, I didn't expect to talk to you so soon, but I'm kind of glad we did because uh, yeah, I think we were going to talk about Halloween anyway, but uh, what is happening up in Victor? We got some uh, Halloween stuff going on, right? Yeah, we do. Halloween's looking really robust here in Victor this year, Dennis. The Elks Lodge in town is throwing a Halloween dance and they're hiring the Bushcocks. I don't know if if any locals are are familiar with the Bushcocks, but they're a really cool local band that have well, they're not they're not local, but they travel here from Colorado Springs and want to become part of our local music scene. Oh, that makes them kind of local. Yeah, local enough. Um, they appreciate our scene and and want to add to it. So anyway, yeah, the Bushcocks Halloween dance at the Victor Elks Lodge. Ten dollars for singles and sixteen dollars for couples. Kids under twelve are free, and there's going to be games and activities, food, obviously music, whatever costume contest erupt from whoever shows up and it starts at 5 p.m. on October 29th at the Victor Elch Lodge. All right, well, that gets them warmed up for trick-or-treating a couple of days later, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. On the 31st, on Halloween Day, here in Victor, we're going to have a trick-or-treat street. The downtown businesses and several residences will be involved. They'll be on a map. The kids will start at the Victor Volunteer Fire Department, start with hot beverages, hot hands, and kick off their trick-or-treating there. And then there'll be a map that they can follow trick-or-treat street down town. Wow, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what all the, the businesses are going to do, whatever they find appropriate, and Victor Main Street will supply them with candy and other fun stuff to hand out, um, and then they'll take it from there. So we'll see what happens, but there will be a map available for that. I'll post that to Facebook and then also have a stack of them at the fire department so kids can roll into Victor and pick up a map, know where to go, and go from there. That's pretty cool because uh, I love coming up to Victor this time of year, too, because uh, a lot of the uh, store owners and, and merchants they they get into it and they they decorate. So don't be yeah. surprised if you see like gigantic skeletons hanging over the top of uh, hotels and uh, you know big spooky displays. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, and last year we got started on this a little bit earlier. I must admit that I'm feeling a little bit pressed and late on all of our plans, Dennis. But I think everybody understands and they know what's going on. It's been kind of an unusually busy fall with some events and stuff that didn't happen last year. And it's like you guys have been slamming busy up there. Well, September was fully loaded. There was a, a, a robust, big, very unique and different event every single weekend in September. So I think a lot of people wanted to take it a little bit easy for a couple of weeks. And here we are a couple of weeks into October and we have, you know, we have Halloween to pull together. So it's always one of those things like, oh, I, I got a couple of days. And it's like, oh, it's happening tomorrow. Oh no. You know, right, hit, right. The, hit the panic yep. button. But uh, <laughs> well, at least that's a common thread. We all experience that. So I think we'll, we'll make it happen. If you really are looking for something else to do, you can always come up to the uh, Bear Cave Spooky woods and we'll uh we'll throw out some of that delicious high fructose corn syrup in your bag hey i was seeing the spooky woods on facebook i think it's too scary for me dennis oh, i don't know My kid would love it <laughs> <laughs> bring them on down yeah so in victor we want to we want to try to just make it good old-fashioned trick-or-treating is fun for kids and neighborhoods it's classic so we don't want to not do that anymore but we want to just put them on a map so that kids know where they're going and just make it a community 
community effort instead of individual houses just doing what they do on their own. We want to make it we want to make it a community event. You and I were talking a little bit about uh, some things that you're facilitating right now. It's some exciting news, but I'm going to let you take it away. So what's what's happening up there in Victor? Yeah, we're really super excited about the relationship that we're building with the Pikes Peak Small Business Development Centers, which I'll call the SBDC for simplicity. This year, we've scheduled quarterly workshops. So we're coming up on the 27th on our third in this series, which is about job creation and retention. The theme of it is how to create enticing jobs and that end up being fulfilling positions so that businesses can hold on to their excellent employees and excellent employees feel like they're being treated excellently and they have a a great job that they feel really good about. So that's what we are going to tackle on on October 27th. Our goal is to facilitate growth and change and and thriving businesses. There's already a Colorado Springs Small Business Development Center. So they really need participation from this side of Pikes Peak, from Teller County, to address their intention as an organization. And we decided that the best way to go about this was to schedule workshops, in-person workshops here in Victor. And we landed on doing that quarterly, starting small. So um, our first workshop was a marketing 101. The next workshop we did was a e-commerce platforms and introduction to doing business online. And then this coming up on the 27th, our third is job creation and retention. And then on December 1st, we'll have one on business tech. So those subjects are ones that Victor businesses specifically have said they could use help with. And the long game with this, though, Dennis, I think that Victor is really well positioned to become an example for small business development in rural areas. Anybody who's been to Victor recently knows that we have a couple really cool businesses and a lot of empty storefronts. So we're in potential mode. And I think with a very tight relationship with the SBDC, our current businesses can learn how to expand their business savvy and do even better than they're already doing. And potential entrepreneurs can make constructive connections with some of these building owners with empty storefronts and with the resources available through the SBDC and other resources available through the Main Street Network. We can start to see some really unique thriving businesses pop up in Victor. So that's the dream. That's the long game. So that's that. It sounds like it's kind of providing a roadmap for businesses to become better and also to draw yeah. new businesses in, If I'm if I'm hearing that right. And uh, that's something that's so needed in in, uh, smaller communities like Victor and Cripple Creek. So this workshop that's coming up, I guess, next week, right? Where is it going to be at? What time? And kind of give me all that information. It's at the Vicki Community Center on South 2nd Street here in Victor, 201 South 2nd Street, right next to the kids' playground. And from 2 to 5 p.m. will be beverages and a light lunch. I'm glad that you took a few minutes to tell us about that because that's a, to me, that's a really important event. And it's it's something that all businesses can benefit by as well as the local communities well kim thanks for spending some time with us and uh we're gonna hit you up again in a couple of weeks because now we're gonna be rolling into the holiday season in november and december and if i know you and uh the good folks in victor there's gonna be plenty of stuff going on we do yep we do have christmas and all that stuff coming down the pipes and i'll update you on where that's at next time we talk dennis thank you so much for having me it's always a pleasure to have you in and uh, like I said it doesn't have to be just Halloween just go up to Victor and hang out you know it's a it's a great place to go and have lunch talk to a few of the local people that are around and uh, even the museums open on weekends right now so get on up there yeah yeah all right Kim thanks a bunch you have yourself a good day and we're going to talk to you very soon that sounds good Dennis you too that was our friend Victor Main Street manager Kim Lodig giving you the rundown in Victor and it's like uh, man if you haven't got anything to do for Halloween that's the place to be when we come back it's news of the weird and find out who gets tossed on the bear pile this week so come on back
Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution, and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran-owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. Back in the Bear Cave with me, Dennis Zerl, and now it's time for News of the Weird. Headline this week reads, Armed and Clumsy. On October 6th in Burlington, North Carolina, a nice town, I've been to Burlington, police officers responded to a call around 7 a.m. A homeowner told him that as he was walking from his car to his front door, an armed man approached him and tried to force his way inside the house. The two struggled and a gunshot grazed the victim's chest, but he wasn't seriously injured. Well, thank God for that. What happens next is really interesting. The victim was able to slam the door on the suspect, or more precisely, on the suspect's hand. As investigators arrived and they were processing the scene, they found a glove with a, get this, severed finger inside. Ew. Which they then used to identify Vernon Forrest Wilson. 67 years old. So, apparently that wasn't hard to do. You just fingerprint the old digit and they came up with good old Vernon. Well, of course, they caught up to him and he was booked on multiple charges in Alamance County in North Carolina and was held on $250,000 bond. Wow. Where do you go with this? You know, at least uh, the victim who was unidentified had the wherewithal to slam that door shut hard enough on good old Vernon's finger and glove came right off and severed it. So, uh, wow. Armed and clumsy. That's the uh, title of that one this week. Go figure. Speaking of which, it is time for The Bear Pile. And of course, by now you know that each week we nominate the top person, place, and or thing who should be tossed on the bear pile and eaten by the bears. This week, the person, place, and or thing to be tossed on the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... I couldn't help it. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold for sending out registration postcard mailers to 30,000 non-citizens in Colorado. Have you seen her commercials lately on TV? She's talking about, uh, you know, voter rights and voter registration and things like that. Yeah, get real. The nominations this week are, number one, the authors of Proposition 123, the affordable housing program, for trying to fleece the good citizens of Colorado out of their hard-earned money in order to promote more bills stuffed with pork and wokeness. Man. Number two, Ghislaine Maxwell for trying to come out as a victim of Jeffrey Epstein. 
this coming right after you knowingly recruited and groomed underage girls to have sex with the likes of Dirty Andy. And coming in at number three this week is Vernon Forrest Wilson for leaving the scene of an armed home invasion. Well, sort of. He did leave a little something of himself behind. Now, Vernon, shouldn't you be home enjoying that retirement, some of that uh, Social Security money? Well, guess not. Well, once again, that's it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. I would like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, the Historic Butte Theater, and Peak Washing, LLC. Special thanks to our guest this week, Mayor Hillary Labar, for coming in for the Mayor's Corner. We always appreciate uh, sitting down and having a chat with you. Also, Victor Main Street Manager, Kim Lodick. Thanks to my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, for bringing a spooky story time one more time this week. And uh, man, can't wait to see what happens next week. It's getting closer. <laughs> and as always, thanks to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, for his contributions to the show. If you have an event coming up or you just want to become a sponsor of the show, hit us up on our Facebook page this week in the Bear Cave or our Instagram page by the same name or send us an email along with your hate mail to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. You can access the show on Spotify, Anchor by Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our celebrity guest next week is going to be Ghislaine Maxwell. We are hoping that uh, she takes our call on the Bear Cave hotline. We are really interested to see what the betting line is on her next Orange is the New Black Fist fight. Yeah, we might want to throw a few bones down. A little, little cash on that one. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold was supposed to come into the barricade, but she got the address numbers wrong and wound up somewhere in Florissant. She just doesn't work well with numbers, I guess, or maybe she does. Eh, who knows. Talk to you again next week, everyone. Be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. 